Well, it's good to have with me Brian Irwin, who's living in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And Brian, I'd like to uh, welcome you to Grace Fellowship today. Thank you. It's good to be here. And let's ask you to um, describe your own personal spiritual journey, Brian. I'd like to have the opportunity for you to share your personal testimony and also uh, your ministry. I know you've written some books, and we've talked over the years about... Uh, the precious message of Christ as our life and implications for personal ministry. So appreciate you taking the time to share today. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a thrill to do it, actually. I, I love to share my testimony because I'm very passionate about understanding our identification truths in Christ. Well, Brian, why don't you just uh, share about your um, background and your personal journey. I'll just let you kind of carry the ball from there. Great. Okay. Well, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And I grew up in a home that called themselves a Christian home. Uh, but like many homes, there was a lot of hostility and things that, that happened while I was growing up that really made me feel very insecure. I had a, I had a dad who was um, very critical. Um, and so his, his ability to communicate happened with a lot of yelling. And so that set the stage for me as a boy to have a lot of insecurities um, and so I, I try to find my security in playing sports, as a drummer, playing music, and of course the girls. Um, but I really did not um, understand how biblical truths uh, were to set me free, um, because I thought that at, at the time that I got saved at eight years old at a Bible camp down, down in Ironton, Missouri, I, I knew for sure that there was a, a literal experience of coming to an understanding of my salvation in Christ, even though I've been raised my whole life, not knowing one moment that I didn't know of Jesus Christ. But I'll never forget, we called him Uncle Ray, who came to camp and preached that particular um, boys' camp week. And I'll never forget when he said that um, God's love is a supernatural love. And there was something about that phrase. It was like saying extraterrestrial. It mm-hmm. was just cosmic. It was out of this world. And I knew that when he said that God's supernatural love is what we needed to know for sure that we had a relationship with our Creator and that we could know that we were not going to go to hell when we died, but we would go to heaven. And that the only way that, that could be is when we understood how God dis- displayed His love through His Son uh, who died on the cross for our sins, and if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and believe with our heart that we will be saved. And so then the invitation was given at the end of that evening's uh, uh, service, and then I went forward with a couple of other guys, and and um, it, Uncle Ray was just fantastic. He just he just looked me in the eyes, and I had known him pretty much my whole life. I My grandparents actually... Um, like when he would come and preach at our church, he they, they would um, house him. And, and so uh, I got to eat meals with him growing up and all this kind of stuff. So Uncle Ray was a very special man uh, in my life who modeled the life of Christ uh, very humbly. He was a humble servant. And so when I went forward that evening and told him that um, what he said just really touched something inside, and I knew that I, I needed to put my faith in Jesus Christ Right then, um, it was an amazing moment. I'll never forget. It was almost like floating on air on the way back to my cabin. It was just, mm-hmm. it was just one of those surreal moments that 
that I knew something had truly changed in my life. It was experiential. It wasn't just head knowledge, say a sinner's prayer, and then, oh, okay, now I'm saved. It wasn't like that at all. It was truly a decision from the heart that made a difference on the inside. I can resonate with that too, Brian, because I was raised in a Christian home and also received the Lord when I was maybe seven years of age. And we know of traditions of Christian churches that emphasize Christian teaching, education, almost with the idea that it's just religion. And if you're born into a Christian family or you go to a Christian church, that automatically makes you uh, a born-again believer. But obviously your testimony illustrates that we need to receive Christ personally as Savior, don't we? That's exactly right. And uh, also, I I grew up in a church, a Bible church. Um, uh, They're they're not well-known. It's called the Assemblies, um, out of the Plymouth Brethren um, belief system. And when I I was growing up, uh, once again, the the church wasn't uh, just something that you go to uh, on Sunday. It was your lifestyle. It literally impacted uh, how I was to live my life 24-7. And I really had some very uh, wonderful, tender uh, elders and leaders in that church that I I really believe modeled the grace um, and the goodness of of God in their lives in such a way that I I really believe that my heart was tender towards that. I was very sensitive to seeing the authenticity of that. Unfortunately, after I got saved, uh, the older I got and the more involved I got in church, um, I began being influenced by people who I would say is a little bit more legalistic. And that is, next thing you know, uh, my father and others were just, you know, telling me that before I even, my feet hit the ground in the morning, I need to first thing, you know, pray. Didn't matter if my bladder was about to burst, I needed to just simply uh, spend time in prayer. First thing, and next thing you know, Every time if I was in a bad mood or if I had a bad day, first question is, uh, well, did you, did you have your quiet time? And so a lot of the spiritual disciplines and the way that they were implemented, the way that they were taught, um, and a lot of this also, and, and, and i got to be careful when I say this because I'm, I'm not putting down anybody else's ministry, but uh, came from a ministry by, uh, by a man by the name of uh, Bill Gothard. And Bill Gothard taught a lot of spiritual disciplines, and there were seven points for everything, and it just seemed like every time something in my life that was not in line, well, somehow it was the emphasis was always on me that I must have committed some sin, I must not have done something right, I must not have had my quiet time, or met, must not have had the right attitude, uh, didn't have enough faith. All of those things that made me constantly feel like I was never up to par. So with that being the case, in my particular um, situation, I can't say that for everybody that I grew up with, but I know for myself, I was very sensitive in such a way that I never had the confidence that I added up to and was okay in God's sight. And that was a major issue in my life growing up. I think I hear you saying, Brian, that there can be biblical principles that are, that are valid and, and spiritual disciplines that are helpful. But if it comes across in a performance-based acceptance That's kind of it. a context, That's exactly if it. there's pressure behind it, like you've got to do this or else, yep. then it tends to make it less you put it legalistic. Well, I, I appreciate exactly what you're saying there because that's exactly what um, opened my eyes, is that phrase right there, performance-based. And basically, uh, the illustration that was given is that it's like a treadmill, and you're just constantly on this treadmill but never making any progress. So you're on a performance-based treadmill instead of a grace-based acceptance. And for me, grace, really, 
I, I think like a, a lot of uh, Christians who come from evangelical backgrounds, um, grace primarily was applied to salvation. And I really did not understand sanctification. So, therefore, I got saved by grace, but I'm still just this wretched sinner that is saved by grace that basically out of just being, you know, a, a human being who positionally is a Christian, but actually um, my actions or behavior are going to reflect the battle of constantly dealing with the sin nature. And so there was no victory, especially not with a capital V. So a lot of emphasis on the do's and don'ts yep. rather than the relationship with the Lord. That's exactly right. And so because of the whole performance-based um, spiritual uh, disciplines that I was supposed to be following every day, um, I, I was like any typical teenager growing up. Um, uh, I, I went to church. I was committed. I, was, uh, uh, I, I know that uh, I like going to church, actually. Um, I know that some people, they, they kind of dreaded it begrudgingly. That wasn't me. I, I actually had a positive experience when I was at church. But I grew up in the public school system and had the, the, the typical uh, issues to deal with, with uh, girl issues, try, peer pressure issues, uh, trying to figure out where I fit in, what group I fit in. And that was all about identity. And I didn't know how to put it in those terms back then. But when I realized it later, I was literally going through a major identity crisis throughout my teenage years. And it wasn't until my early 20s that it really caused me some serious problems of depression, of feeling like, like a failure, uh, feeling like I was constantly letting people down. Uh, and to be quite honest, it really developed into some suicidal tendencies of just not hating myself and not hating the world, but just wanting to be rid of the pain and feeling like it, it's not going to end. I didn't have any solutions. I already knew about Jesus Christ. It wasn't like somebody could come along and say, hey, Brian, I know exactly what you need. You need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and here's the gospel story. No, I already knew that. Not only that, but I was a Christian. And so I felt very defeated because I couldn't understand how can somebody know the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and still be so empty in their life of feeling um, this defeated. And so I literally took on a defeatist mentality. And I just finally came to the point one day of just thinking, you know, can't beat them, join them. And so I literally did start going down a path of turning to things, to vices that uh, were destructive. Um, probably the, the biggest one was relationships with, with girls, with women. Um, the other was the whole music scene of being a drummer, playing rock and roll and jazz and, and the blues down on the, uh, on the levee in St. Louis. But... Uh, that that whole thing, along with sports as well, um, that's how I was trying to get my identity validated. But really, to be quite honest with you, it was also an escape. So I hear you talking about that issue of identity, which as counselors we, we discuss as a key issue in, in people's personal um, growth and, and progress in terms of the abundant life. But also, um, would rejection fit in there as well, the, the lack of meaningful love? Uh, what was it like, let's say, in your teen years and early 20s? You mentioned the symptoms of depression and coping by turning to some of these more worldly strategies. Was a rejection a piece as well? Well, that, that was the big one. <clears throat> that was the biggie. Because fear, shame, guilt, and pain, um, I, I, I knew that, that I experienced those, but, I, but the biggie was ultimately how it all equaled rejection. And uh, obviously, you know, being a guy that is trying to have relationships with girls, but also trying to fit in with the guys and fit in with the group and all that, um, 
rejection is, is, is right at the top of what I re- remember of where my ultimate bre- brokenness um, of my identity began. And I'll tell you how this happened. I, my, I had a brother who, um, I'm the middle of five, and so my brother who's right above me, he went through, when he went off to college, he went through a time where he was taking some of these worldview courses. Uh, and so apparently in an anthropology or sociology course, he literally started questioning, you know, why was Christianity the only way to believe? And so he actually went through a time where he claimed to be um, atheistic. But at the time that, and, and, and this is very interesting, at the time that I was really struggling the worst in my early 20s, I was going to a church, just kind of visiting, a church called uh, by the name of Clayton Community Church in St. Louis, Missouri. And at the time, I'll never forget, my brother, who's claiming to be an atheist, uh, I mean an agnostic at the time, he's the one who actually told me about this church. I started going to this church visiting. I was really impressed with this uh, with this pastor named Wayne Carson. Just, just very unique in his communication skills, just fresh. The Bible was just fresh when he would preach, and it was very interesting uh, for me personally, because it was taking me out of that comfort zone of my childhood background uh, in, in the way that the Bible was taught, but it was also very vibrant and exciting to be in that in that church atmosphere of that particular one. It was like a big family. It was really incredible. Well, what was interesting is my brother, when I was explaining to him kind of what I was feeling and going through, he goes, well, believe it or not, there's this book I think you'd be interested in. Um, and it's called Handbook to Happiness. Well, this is coming from my agnostic brother, right? Mm-hmm. And he's suggesting to me a Christian book. Well, um, he went to look for it, and he couldn't find it. And I think this was like either on my birthday or around Christmas. My, my birthday is December 3rd, so Christmas and birthday is kind of close together. And so he went, he went to go look to find it, and he couldn't find it. So what did he find? He found... Uh, the Ins and Outs of Rejection, the sequel to Handbook to Happiness. Mm. And he even told me, he said, now, he, uh, Dr. Charles Solomon mentions an awful lot in this book, Ins and Outs of Rejection, some things that he built, the building blocks in Handbook to Happiness. So you might need to read Handbook to Happiness first, but, you know, this is the only one I could find. I started reading The Ins and Outs of Rejection, and I could completely relate to the whole premise mm. of rejection and how Dr. Dr. Solomon broke it down. And I got to a point in the book where I was like, yeah, there's no way I can keep on reading this book without reading Handbook to Happiness first. I went and bought Handbook to Happiness, and I'm telling you, it revolutionized my life. It ultimately explained things that I had, I had questioned at, at reading the Bible, you know, words like soul and spirit and body, and, you know, what's the difference between the mind and what's the difference between, you know, your emotions versus, a, you know, an intuition, you know. A conviction versus, you know, just your opinion. And so all of a sudden, it, it literally put it into a profile that, that I was able to, it's just light bulb experiences of aha all the time. Just wow, okay, man, that is exactly what I've been needing my whole life is for somebody to explain these things. But it wasn't just a mind thing. It wasn't just rationalization of trying to figure it out with empirical wisdom. This was truly a spiritual journey that I was on that when I finally experienced the Holy Spirit change my life by God's grace for sanctification, not just salvation, not only did it change my identity, but it it, it absolutely opened up a door. And the one key word, that the only word that I can describe it is called freedom. 
And to be honest with you, this was my journey because part of, of, of being on this journey was also um, early on in my 20s, I got married to um, my wife, Sherry. And at that time, um, she did not have all that religious background, okay, that religiosity baggage. And I call it churchianity, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that churchianity that I had here, I'm struggling because for what, what Wayne Carson said to me, he said, Brian, he says, the biggest problem I'm having with you is, is that for every one verse I give you, you can give me ten back. I mean, that's how well we were taught growing up, uh, mm-hmm. the scriptures. But the problem is that we had it fit in a certain um, version of Christianity that as long as I held on to that, I couldn't get what God was saying. And there's a verse that was really pivotal, and it's in Jonah, chapter 2, verse 8, where God says, you cling to your worthless idols and forfeit the grace that could be yours. And, you know, John, that's what I had been doing. I clung to my churchianity, Christianity, religious background in such a way that my identity was actually within that setting. And it's literally as if God had to take me out of that and put me in a completely different setting so that my heart could cry out to God and my eyes could finally, the scales could be taken away and I could finally see the truth that I'm supposed to be truly abiding in to make me free. And then um, I, I listened to a, a series on the radio by Charles Stanley called How the Truth Can Set You Free. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how he broke down uh, John chapter 8 and especially verse 32 and how he explained that it doesn't say in the Greek how the truth can set you free. It says how the truth can make you free and you are free indeed. And later on, uh, a man uh, by the name of John Best um, helped explain to me in, a, in just an amazing way. I mean, it's just amazing when your eyes are open how you can get things that you've actually been shown your whole life, but you, you weren't able to see it, truly see it. And, and I, I guarantee you, I had eyes to see, couldn't see, had ears to hear, couldn't hear, because of like what Jesus said to his disciples. I had a wall around my heart. It sounds like a paradigm shift is one way we say it. And uh, although you were taught so effectively in uh, the church growing up, uh, there can be a certain type of uh, perspective, right, Brian? A certain almost identity, religious identity. So it sounds like there was a brokenness process, which uh, the book on rejection helped you identify. You mentioned it kind of as the the main you know, factor. You kind of recognize, wow, rejection sums up all this stuff going on inside me. And then discovering in Handbook to Happiness that it's not just salvation by grace through faith, but it's sanctification. That's right. By grace you faith. So that, how did that acceptance feel? That was a key aspect of your freedom? Oh, yeah, because once, once I, I really understood that if I was the only person here on earth, and this is something that when people would say this, I never could accept it, that if I was the only person here on earth, God would have sent his only son to die just for me. Never once in my life felt like I had that kind of value and worth. But when my eyes were open to these truths, it was amazing how I truly came to a place of, of receiving God's love that when he sculpted and molded me into an image like his, that as a human being, I was that precious in his sight and that he desired a true, intimate covenant relationship with me. 
when I was finally able to accept that, it was amazing, once again, the freedom that I was able to experience. But once again, um, John Vess, when he broke it down, the indicative mode and the imperative mode, and he said something very interesting, that when you read in the scripture, God never commands us in the imperative mode to do something that is contrary to our, our true nature indicatively. And that unless you understand this key prepositional phrase, in Christ, that we are in him and he is in us, and understanding how pivotal that is, of how then he wants to live through us, and that it is not I, but it is Christ who lives in me and through me. Wow, that basically was one of the greatest senses of relief in my life that, oh my gosh, I'm not on this treadmill anymore. I'm not being put, I'm not put on this performance standard of having to meet up to God's par in order to receive his grace, in order to receive his blessing, in order to be okay with God. And once I finally came to that place, you wouldn't believe the people around me who were coming up to me and just constantly saying, what is, what is different about you? And I'll tell you, John, one of, the, one of the biggest ways that I put on a mask or a wall with people is that I love to argue. And I loved having a verse for everything. And I had to realize that my flesh loved the law. I loved, actually, to know all the, the uh, do's and don'ts of performance because that's where I was trying to find that I was okay, right? But when I finally had this, this breakthrough and I had this freedom... I was no longer arguing. I was not trying to build arguments. And I was literally, I had this piece about me that people noticed. And I didn't even know that they were watching my life that closely, okay? But when people, especially my siblings, noticed it. Um, I, I know that not only was I able to forgive myself and forgive others for the pain that I was suffering inside, but I was able to become thankful for the first time. And I'll never forget a lady saying to me one time, she said, Brian, did you ever notice before you were never able to say thank you when somebody would give you a compliment or say thank you for a meal or say, yeah. and you know what, John, I didn't notice that. But it was amazing that when I all of a sudden entered into this freedom and I had this grateful heart, I was just so thankful. You know what I'm saying? I was thankful for all my blessings. And it was amazing how now my eyes could see all the blessings around me. It was it was truly that remarkable that people around me were seeing it. Well, let me unpack that a little bit more, Brian, about that freedom breakthrough you had. I think we've both met believers who are miserable, who wish they could be saved again, because if they were miserable and unsaved, they would know that they, they could receive Christ as Savior and Lord and, and have a breakthrough. But you've just illustrated through your testimony that there's also a breakthrough for the struggling believer. Christ came not only to give us life, but that we might have it more abundantly. It's interesting how you use that language. I could tell you've been talking to our friend Dr. John Best, the Greek scholar, mm -hmm. with the uh, talking about Greek uh, grammar here about indicative mood versus imperative mood. Ephesians 2.10 may help some of our listeners with this, where it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So the indicative is that in Christ we are God's workmanship, mm -hmm. His grace. It's We might call it being. But then the imperative, it's, all right, how does that show up? Well, we're created un unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So it sounds like um, with your background, the argumentative, argumentative way of handling Scripture, that you're, you look back and see that as a, a fleshly way of acting, whereas... 
I think in many churches, um, that would fly under the radar. They would say, you know, something that's obviously uh, sensual or sinful, that, that would be the flesh, but they wouldn't typically see things like um, pride and argumentative uh, ways of approaching Scripture as fleshly. That's a great point. And, and you know, that, that was something that was so significant in my life of how when I would, when I would explain my beliefs and my faith, I'll never forget, it was my wife when we were in college, in junior college, that she asked me a specific question. She said, I understand what your parents believe. I understand all these people that you're quoting, but why do you believe what you say you believe? Now, I know that sounds really simple, but to be quite honest with you, that was very profound at that moment, and I was dumbfounded. I was really speechless, because to actually explain why is truth truth to me, how has the truth made me free, I remember that I was on a quest, and I, I was determined uh, at that time never again to say what I believe unless it was truth for me. Mm-hmm. And um, But after, after these truths uh, truly revolutionized not only me personally and my wife personally, but then together in our, in our marriage relationship corporately, we still were on a quest. Of, okay, the Bible says that, um, that the two shall become one. And the way that we looked at it was like, wait a minute, these truths have to do with individuals. First of all, we're individuals as children of God. And so we entered into that individually, but when it came to our covenant marriage relationship of being one, we had to step back and realize, wow, our covenant was not truly established on the same basis of what God says in his word. So just because we had a legal document that said that we were married, just because we had an official date in which we did get married, um, we were not truly, right then, functionally married in the kind of covenant that God required that, first of all, uh, not only do you die to yourself, when, when it comes to your covenant marriage relationship as the bride of Christ, but then as a husband, I was supposed to be um, literally unto my wife as Christ is to his church. So I was to love my wife that way. And that re- required dying to myself and having that kind of selfless attitude. Well, once we discovered that, once again, uh, we were so passionate about sharing these things that were changing our lives that people were noticing and at the time, we were actually in Chicago, Illinois. And I'll never forget that, that we were in this couple's Bible study group, and we were sharing different things that were just literally, uh, obviously changing our lives. And I remember the struggle within church of how hard it was to share these biblical truths right from Scripture with believers who just looked at us like we were speaking either a different language or like we went out and joined some cult. I mean, it was that radical of how people looked at us like, whoa, 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 you know, you guys are really, you know, jump ship on us here. Where, where are you coming from with this stuff? And I'll never forget what God used in our lives was um, a tape series uh, with, with um, Dr. Solomon and Leela Favor. And the one in particular, the, the, the tape that really helped Sherry and I was one called um, How to Rewitness to Christians. And rewitnessing isn't for salvation. Rewitnessing is for sanctification. To truly live out according to who we are in Christ, not according to the law, not according to the letter of the law. And of course, as Jesus said, it's not by the, the letter of the law, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord, by, by the Spirit of the law. 
And when that became real to us as to how to live out these truths in our daily lives with our most intimate relationships, our marriages, our families, friendships, siblings, wow, that is ultimately um, what became my passion uh, in regards to how I believe that I'm gifted, my wife and I both are gifted in this area. And as a matter of fact, I think, uh, you know, I told you a little bit earlier, but I'm actually writing a book right now called uh, Till Death Do Us Start. And that's what it's about. It's about mm-hmm. um, what does it mean to, to really have a, a covenant relationship with your spouse, but also with believers in the church and, and others. But I, I do believe that there is a significant difference between the way we approach our gamos, in the Greek is the word for um, our, our oneness or our partnership with our single spouse versus koinonia, which is plural, having to do partnering with the body of Christ, plurally. And so when, when you look at that partnership and you join and, and, you, and you connect with your heart, with those around you, um, there needs to be a kindred spirit. There needs to be a like-mindedness. Well, how do you process that without coming across and saying, like, well, you need to believe like I believe. You need to think like I think. And that's not how we should approach that, of course. So it sounds like um, there was a ripple effect, Brian, for you and Sherry, as you came to know Christ as, as your life, that the cross wasn't just the cross where Christ died for you, but the one where you both died with Christ and were buried and were raised with Him. And I can tell from our conversations and what you just shared that the whole piece about relationships is really how Christ wants to live through us and has very important implications. That's exactly right. Um, could you comment a bit about your journey into full-time Christian ministry in terms of you mentioned being in junior college. Uh, what was involved in you in terms of uh, following the Lord's leading in terms of vocational ministry? What was your journey? Yeah, um, after after college, uh, my wife and I got married, and um, I was um, trained as a as a draftsman. I was a certified draftsman, and I was working for a company, a mapping company. And then my wife, uh, she got pregnant. I was, I was actually still continuing education down at uh, Southeast Missouri State University in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And during that time, my wife got pregnant. And, it, uh, you know, a lot of burdensome responsibilities uh, kept on getting heavier and heavier. And I, I needed to go ahead and finish out that particular um, uh, semester and wasn't completely sure, but... Uh, I knew that I needed to provide for my family, so I, I went into uh, full-time work. Um, and uh, what happened from there is that is that I, I got a job. Well, it, it gets a little complicated, but we wound up in Chicago. Okay, so in Chicago, we started going to this um, this church. It was an um, all pro- predominantly African American church um, in um, the inner city of Chicago. And guess who the pastor knew personally? Chuck Solomon. Guess who came and did a seminar once a year? Chuck Solomon at um, Chicago Land Bible Church. And so my wife and I were one of only two white couples who were going to this church. And in the midst of this, I was very involved with being the drummer, um, and I was very involved with uh, the youth ministry and all this different stuff. And out of, out of that, because I, I was working in civil engineering as a draftsman, that's my vocation. That's how I was providing for my family. And I was very content doing that at the time because, you know, once again, I wasn't thinking going into the ministry. 
but through all the, the process of, of uh, being very involved, and once again, even including, you know, being very involved with uh, like a couples class, and the way that we were just, once again, I mean, we were just gushing with all of this wonderful truth that we love to share, the leaders uh, start recognizing that, hey, you know, maybe we missed our calling. Maybe I missed my calling. And next thing you know, they were recommending that I consider um, going into the ministry. And so uh, that's really where that seed was planted. That's where it began. Uh, my wife and I, we went from Chicago to Dubuque, Iowa, where I went to school t- at uh, Emmaus Bible uh, College. And um, we became so homesick, we moved back to St. Louis. Um, and it is very interesting. For the first time in my whole life, I was personally discipled, mentored by a man by the name of Stoney Shaw. We, we started going to um, a church where he was pastoring, Parkway Baptist Church. And... Chuck Solomon was coming in and doing an Exchange Life conference, and my wife and I went to the conference, and um, Stoney and I just, man, we just had such an amazing kindred spirit, Paul-Timothy relationship. He took me under his wings, discipled me for three years while at the same time encouraging me to go to uh, finish out my education uh, at, at uh, Missouri Baptist U- University, at the time Missouri Baptist College. And then after that, I went on to uh, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and got a uh, uh, master's in biblical counseling. Great. It's, uh, <laughs> this wasn't planned to hear so many references to Handbook to Happiness and Chuck Solomon's uh, seminars. I, I knew you've had contact with our friend Stoney Shaw, and so it was interesting just to see God's providence in your life, and, and here you are uh, living within an hour of Grace Fellowship uh, home office. Um, Brian, as you were committed to uh, get that uh, training, and I commend you and Sherry for uh, the commitment that is involved in getting the higher education, what uh, ministry path um, vocationally did the Lord lead you on after that? Were you involved in church work or counseling? Absolutely. When, um, when, I, when I went to Missouri Baptist University, Stoney uh, also helped me uh, get into ministry positions, and I served as a youth pastor because one of the things that I, John, when you think about your life and you think about, wow, could these truths have helped me before, you know, becoming suicidal or becoming, you know, so disillusioned in life that, you know, you just don't know which way is north, which way is south. Uh, you know what? Identification truths. What's one of the most natural, awkward times in every human being's life than, you know, junior high and high school? I mean, every teenager is going through an identity crisis because they're trying to figure out where they fit in, uh, who they are. And so my passion became, you know what, if somebody would have shared these truths with me when I was 16, man, it would have saved me a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache. And that became a passion of mine. That's where I began. And it was really interesting because because while I was trying to finish out my undergrad at Missouri Baptist uh, University in psychology and in uh, ministerial, I got, I got uh, two, uh, two uh, degrees, two, two majors. Um, it was very interesting because during that time, I'm you know, in, in youth ministry on staff at a church, and it was amazing how many parents would come to me and ask me questions, and I was helping bridge that gap between teenagers and their parents in such a positive way and, and seeing such tremendous results that, um, that that's where the real passion became for marriage and family type ministry. And so um, when, when I went off to get my master's degree, 
Um, I had a professor who was specifically had a background of being licensed in marriage and family. And I'm telling you, that just really impacted me and helped me, once again, funnel it and become more focused about the emphasis of where my real passions and gifts are, of how I help people and where the best results um, are found. And that's, that's in relationships. I have such a passion for relationships. So now today I call myself a relationship coach. And so it's, it's kind of uh, following the idea of life coaching. And so uh, I specifically help people in the area of relationships. And that was the substance of your first book? Yeah, my, the very first book, uh, I was doing seminars and people kept on saying, my goodness, this is really good material. Is it in a book? Or is it a pamphlet? You know, do you have this to give out? Well, I didn't. And so um, I was encouraged by quite a few people to go ahead and write a book and put my material, my, my uh, different charts and diagrams and illustrations, uh, because I love word pictures. Uh, I'm, very, uh, I'm very much a, a visual learner and so are so many people that I, that I work with. And so, yeah, I wrote my first book called Connected Hearts. And that was basically like what uh, Dr. Solomon uh, did. He took uh, the journey of the epic story of, of the Israelites going from captivity to the wilderness and then to, into the promised land. And I used that exact same type of journey in that book to illustrate various issues that people struggle with and deal with that are relevant to us all. And that instead of just sticking people in a label um, uh, typical to clinical psychology and, and uh, psychoanalytical model, models, I uh, took my psychology background and, once again, I, I didn't just integrate uh, with biblical principles. I literally see that within the Bible, God addresses human nature. And therefore, how does God say that we should deal with human nature from a biblical perspective, from a God-ordained perspective, and that's where that book came from. So Connected Hearts then would relate the uh, Christ-centered life, living by grace, to relationships in general and marriage in particular. That's exactly it. Okay. And I have on the table here um, your book, The Life Exchanger. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. You know, um, I, I love uh, books. I love reading. I love uh, different ways to illustrate. And so I have picked up a book by... Uh, Bruce uh, Wilkinson, who, uh, who wrote a book called uh, The Gift Giver. And the emphasis was on the giver, on God, who is the giver of all our different gifts that, we, that he's equipped us with. And it's a really neat book. It's, a, it's written as an allegory. And I thought, you know, I don't know of anybody who's written a book like that about the exchange life, what it looks like, how you can relate to the main characters, and how they walk this out. I've read a lot of books that are informational books, but I like that. I like that approach. And so I'd even called you and asked you, hey, do you know of anybody out there, any other books, resources that are like that? And you, I think you had even told me that you'd thought of writing a book yourself uh, along the similar lines. But anyway, so what I did is I, is I um, wrote an allegory, and then at the end of each chapter, what I call it is the journey journal, and I try to get the reader to relate to um, the characters and the incidents or events within the story, and then write down your own story. Because I really believe, and, and you probably remember this when we were growing up, so many times people would share their testimony. Well, today we basically say, what's your story? And so basically this book is about uh, what, is, what does a person's story look like when these truths come into their life, and how does it truly revolutionize each 
of the areas of your life? How does it permeate? How does it impact your life that you live 24-7? And so, yeah, that, that's, that's the gist of this book. The Life Exchanger. And your website, Brian, where people can order your books, would that be exchanged? For life dot com. Yeah, and that's uh, it's it's exchanged with a with a D, exchanged um, for life. Um, F O R. F O R. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. I have over lunch before we uh, sat down for this recorded conversation. We were talking about churches. Um, what would you say about the need for churches today to offer biblical counseling? How's that for a teeing up the golf ball? <laughs> well, I like that. I, you know what? Um, I'll, I'll try to uh, tee this one off. Um, I don't know how far it's going to go, but I really, truly believe that, once again, this is my passion for the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. I truly believe, uh, as we were talking about, discussing over lunch, that, you know, when the Bible says, without love, you have nothing. Um, you couldn't even put the word love in the context of Scripture or even life without seeing it from the lens of relationships. Every one of us are relational beings, and God created us, first of all, for, for having a relationship with him, but also with one another. And I really believe that within the, within the church today, one of the th- key things that, that is missing, I really believe, is a healthy understanding of what true discipleship is all about, what a true connection within the body of Christ is all about, having fellowship, having um, uh, a willing heart to to truly seek after our, our master's teachings. And how do you learn those? Because that's what the word discipleship means. It means a learner or a follower. So when we follow Christ as our Lord and master, uh, our, 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 our Savior is our Lord. He is our master. And so when we see that his teachings are that impactful into the human experience, how are we supposed to learn that? And once again, I I really believe within the body of Christ, there needs to be a greater emphasis on how to nurture God's sheep in biblical principles, but doing it in a way that it isn't just giving bullet point. It isn't just, you know, telling you, well, you know, go through a checklist every day. I really believe that there needs to be this understanding of walking this out together, walking in grace, living in grace, growing in grace. And how, you know, what does it mean for Christ to not only live in me, but live through me? So Mm -hmm. those are the the, the key issues that I try to address and try to help people with when it comes to within the body of Christ, within the church, within churches. Because oftentimes people get moved in, moved out. They get, you know, um, uh, put in in, in a ministry. You know, hey, you got to serve here. You got to serve there. And unfortunately, we can get, once again, lost uh, in that and, and resort back to, oh, well, that's my identity. So who are you? Oh, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher or I'm a you know, music leader or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know what? That's what you do because of the passion within you that comes from who you are. So who you are should make a difference in what you do. But, you know, what you do is not who you are. It doesn't define who you are. And that is something that is a very um, key issue that I that I really passionately try to encourage Christians to make sure that as they're involved in the body of Christ, that they have a true kindred spirit, that there really is iron sharpening iron, and that they're growing, and out of that growth, of their Christian growth, that ministry, that's where ministry begins. Mm -hmm. Um, So it sounds like relationships will be a key theme, and what you affirm 
for the body of Christ, where sometimes we can be so caught up in programs and the organizational aspect of church, you know, which have a place, but if that becomes um, all-consuming, then the relationships can be um, taken for granted. So the relationships need to be loving with uh, the fruit of the Spirit kind of quality. And that's really what our Lord said would be our main witness, right? They'll know you are believers, my disciples, by your love. And then also to not just talk about the first dimension of the cross, which is the gospel of salvation, but also the other dimension of the cross of our co-death and co-resurrection with Christ that has been such a uh, major blessing in our lives and in our, our counseling. So the, the message of the Christ-centered life, the relationship, focus, genuine agape love. You think also, uh, Brian, there would be a role for those with more counseling training. You have a master's degree in biblical counseling. Many pastors feel kind of intimidated by the idea of counseling. They think they have, they're being asked to be a long-term kind of a psychologically oriented counselor. What would you say would be the context for those who want to do more intentional counseling in the local church? Yeah, you know, I really believe that when people like myself who embraced these truths and just, it's like, wow, okay, I got to tell everybody. But I, I will tell you, John, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, uh, my whole entire life since becoming a Christian at eight years old, it was evident that I was very sensitive uh, in this area in the first place. And so I really believe that I changed my vocation. I had a career change because God directed that, not because all of a sudden I made the decision to go from civil engineering, um, all of a sudden, hey, I'm going to go into a full-time ministry now uh, as a counselor. No, that was, that was a process that God worked out in my life personally. And if people have that conviction and if they have that passion, uh, that they believe that they have a gift that goes along with it, not just an understanding, not just, you know, um, a desire, you know, for other people to embrace this, but where they really have a gift that gets good results of how the Holy Spirit works in you and through you to help people. Um, that's, that's what happened with me. And, and I'll tell you something that I really believe is, is, is very important to understand about the whole flesh issue um, that there, we have numerous um, uh, places throughout Scripture where we read about um, having a withdrawn or shut down heart or a wall around our heart. And we need to understand the nature of that spiritually, how people, even God's own disciples, his followers, can have eyes to see but don't see, have ears to hear but don't hear because uh, of, of a wall around their heart. And for a believer, that's like the word, um, uh, like, like, like a callous. It's, it's not the word petrified, like where it's through and through, like you have a, a hard heart. But when you harden your heart and you build a wall, it, it keeps your eyes from seeing these things. But when people have a gift of uttering God's uh, uh, truths, and all of a sudden it penetrates and it, and it helps get past that wall straight into permeating a person's heart, it's amazing the results that you see where people have these aha experiences and you sit back and say, what, what did I say? <laughs> mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because when God's at work like that, I mean, I've literally had people come to me um, after you know a, a session or two, and say, "Wow, you know my life is so different now." And I'm like, "Really? What happened?" Well, it's what you said last time. And I'm like, well, "What did I say?" And I'm telling you. And, and I could give one particular example of this lady who's she just looked like a million bucks, and all of a sudden I'm I'm looking at her. I'm saying, "Wow, 
oh, you look great. And she, she said, oh, I feel great. And she says, uh, she says, I never need to come back again. <laughs> I said, what? And she goes, yeah, my whole life is, is just completely changed. And I said, what are you talking about? And this woman was literally on the brink of death. I mean, she just wanted life to be over. And all of a sudden, she's full of life. She's vibrant. She's vivacious. She's, she's just, wow, she's just beaming, right? And she told me that it's the illustration I use. Well, I said, I'm all ears. Come on in. Let's, let's talk about it. So she told me about the illustration that I use of this windmill and how the windmill, all, all of the, the pedals were uh, tattered and torn. It couldn't catch the wind. But she was still functional on the inside but couldn't be productive for what she was for because she couldn't catch the wind. John, I'll be honest with you, to this day, I don't remember ever giving that illustration. But you know what? I wasn't about to say, oh, no, I didn't say that. You got that from so I just, I was like, you know what? Maybe I really did say that, but it was completely by the Holy Spirit. And I was being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit in counseling, in coaching somebody that it didn't matter. Because you know what? The last thing we need to do is try to patent every time we come up with mm-hmm. an illustration. Mm-hmm. If God gave that to me for her... That was for her. Because we believe really it's the Holy Spirit who is the counselor with a capital C. And uh, we simply want to be his uh, um, twigs on, on the branch, on the true vine, you know, that's, that's right. bearing this fruit. So praise God, Brian, for how he has uh, been touching lives through you and, and Sherry. Um, as we start to wrap up, there may be someone listening. Maybe they're in gridlock in a, in a marriage or a difficult relationship. And maybe they're struggling with the baggage of rejection, and they're still on that quest for for an identity that's positive and un, unchanging. Um, could you just summarize maybe to them what this exchange life can mean for them individually and, and in their relationship? Well, John, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, different people have different uh, ideas of, of how this stuff transpires. I really believe that you cannot fully get freed up unless you go through brokenness. And I really do believe that one of the key things in Scripture when it says that, that people uh, build walls, but not only that, but we turn to things. We, we, we have vices, and people could be caught up in, in um, eating disorders, um, drugs, alcohol, other things that ah, they think that they have control over it. Um, they just use it you know, to escape a little bit or to knock off the edge or just whatever. But I'm telling you right now, we have to be honest. And, and there's times where... The, the bottom has to drop out in order for us to come to that place and cry out to God. But when we do, it is truly a, a deeper crying out from, our, from within our spirit. We are, we are so agonizing that we have to look in the mirror and we have to honestly ask ourselves, what is the condition of my heart? And I really believe that most people have built walls around their heart and that they have shut down because they are vulnerable and they don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to feel the pain anymore. And so that kind of honesty is ultimately where people have to come to. It's not about the head. It's not about you're, you're just figuring it out and rationalizing it and somehow you have an aha experience that, yeah, two plus two equals four. It's not like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. And I really believe that we have to become like Jonah, even to the point that we might be running from God, where God finally has to say to us, you're clinging to your worthless idols and forfeiting the grace that could be yours. And notice that that's in the present future tense, that you are clinging to a worthless idol and you are forfeiting right now the grace that could be yours, that could still be yours. It's being offered. God is not saying, oh, 
nope, I offered it to you once, you blew it, you, you turned me down, oh, it's not there for you anymore, no way. It's still there, it's still being offered. And God's saying, let go of whatever you're holding on to that right now is making you feel like you're in control. And when somebody looks at me and says, I just feel like my life is completely out of control, and I look at them and I say, you know what, that's actually a good thing. Because now you can turn to the one whose control can change your life for the better if you'll quit trying to be in control. To radically abide in Christ, to trust Him not only as our Savior, but our very life source. That's right. I agree with you. Brokenness is that process of God's providential pressure that brings us to the end of our own resources. And if it were not for this amazing truth of our oneness with Christ, Brian, that would be pretty scary. We don't want to be ruined. But when we realize it's like that husk of the seed that is shed when the seed is planted, John 12, 24 or so, that when that seed is planted, in a sense it dies, but really it's releasing the life source within, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And certainly that transformational change that we celebrate when God bears this kind of fruit in counseling shows that through the brokenness, God wants us to discover the grace you know, that he wants us to have in Christ. Well, if I could say one more thing, John, that you just now brought up, that on my journey helped me tremendously. And that's a book by, the, uh, by uh, Watchman Nee called Release of the Spirit. It was absolutely mm-hmm. life-changing. Once again, I know, you know it sounds like I, I could be over-exaggerating, but I'm telling you, it was revolutionizing because I was looking for something on the outside, uh, uh, some kind of manifestation on the outside to give me this extra boost of energy, almost like Popeye, you know, needing, you know, the spinach, you know. But let me tell you, the power of God's Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in us. And when we are not able to tap into that, into that empowerment into, into that energy that God has given us, the same source that Jesus himself said he could never have spoken a word or done one miracle without the power of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 5. And once again, when we consider what the Christian journey looks like in sanctification, how God continues to finish the good work that he began in us as the author and the finisher of our faith, how does that happen? Well, just go right to uh, um, in, in 1 John chapter 2 and see that you literally cannot continue to abide in Christ without the Holy Spirit. And that's verses mm-hmm. 26 and 27. But notice what John says. He says, there are those who are trying to lead you astray. But then how does he say to remain in Christ? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I discovered truly how to seek God and be um, how to submit to the Holy Spirit's empowerment from within so that, once again, I could live this life, but not I, but Christ lives in me and through me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in Christ, okay, in, in, in His ways. Well, how does that work out? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's ultimately uh, a, a, another resource that God used tremendously in my life to help open my eyes to see what's in the Scriptures, once again, it wasn't Watchman Nee or any of these other resources. The, each one of them led me back to the same Word of God that I was studying all my life as a child. And all these scriptures became living alive, like jumping off the page of, this, of the Word of God. Experiential. Yeah. Praise God. The uh, Release of the Spirit book by Watchman Nee was a great blessing in my life too, Brian. reminds me of the not I half of Galatians 2.20, you know, not I who live, but Christ lives in me. I guess we could say that's 
his book that we both appreciate the normal Christian life would be more the positive aspect which emphasizes Romans chapter 6 and I just appreciate brother your your ministry your testimony uh, your passion for uh, the truth of God's grace it reminds me of Colossians 2 where it says as we have received Christ Jesus as Lord we need to walk in him and uh, we just pray God's blessing upon you and Sherry your family and your ministry and how about if I just lead us in word of prayer and ask God's blessing on you? That be all right. Okay, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time of fellowship. I thank you for Brian. Thank you, Lord, for um, living your life through him and for also these books that he's written. I pray your blessing on connected hearts and that it would really bless many relationships, Lord, and and also the life exchanger that this um, this metaphor would be a wonderful illustration of what it means to experience Christ as our life. And I just pray your blessing and guidance upon his um, life coaching ministry and counseling. And I just pray for each one who is listening to this recording that you would re- remind us of what it really means to go back to the good news of the scripture, that you have come, that we might have life, and also that we might have it more abundantly. So lead us on in this Calvary Road journey, Lord, that you would be glorified through us, that we would be ambassadors not only of the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of victorious living which is by the power of your amazing grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, God bless you.